This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Pentecost is a picture of revival. That original revival that God wants to, to, to release over and over again. So why do we need revival? Why do we need revival? Dead religion. Because of dead religion. And and we see it happening in, in Jerusalem. In that time of Jesus. Jerusalem and, and the nation of Israel, they were in the clutches of dead religion. In the clutches of dead religion. I mean, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, crying out for them because of the state of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. I mean, it's crazy to think, but they were the God people. And then they became the anti-God people. They became the people who resisted God. And they were ultimately the people who killed God. When they crucified Jesus at the cross. Praise God, he's risen from the dead. But can you imagine? I mean, originally, that was God's plan in the sense of it was Moses and, the, and, and that, that was God working. But they lost the essence, the heart of what it was all about. And they found themselves in the clutches of dead religion. And they became the anti-God people. They persecuted the messengers of God. They resisted those God sent to them. And ultimately, they killed God. Can you imagine that? And that's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the state of the nation. Because like, what has become of my people? And on Pentecost, he shifted it. On Pentecost, in the midst of this dead religion, God poured out the fire of his Holy Spirit and he broke through these obstacles that was laid down in the hearts and minds of people. We see this in Luke 13, 34, which says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. This is what dead religion does to us. We become the anti-God people. We, come, we, we resist. We resist what God wants to do. Another spirit comes in. Not the Holy Spirit, but another spirit. It's called the spirit of dead religion. And it makes one blind. You become the blind leading the blind. And it causes hard hearts and stubbornness. And then we actually, and this is the scariest thing. As they were killing Christ, they were like, we are worshiping the Lord. That's a scary place to be. That's deception. So that spirit of dead religion, it blinds us to being the anti-God people. And so it's only through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when revival breaks out, it's like, then we wake up. Then we wake up from from our blindness and from our hard heartedness. And then things begin to shift. And so this is what the spirit of dead religion does. 
It's like, it's like it slams the door in the face of God. You are not welcome here. Here's a picture of a door. It's like there's this green, there's life, and then there's just shut the door, and all that is left is dryness, emptiness, a form of godliness, but denying its power. So living for the fear of man becomes a show. External things, but it's not from the heart anymore. And God is like, hey, I want to shift that. And so we see this over the, over the centuries. God pours out his spirit, and then we on fire, and then churches grow and are planted, and people come alive, and then we lose it. And then he pours out his spirit, and then the churches grow, and people come alive, and they're like, Jesus, you everything, and they pursue him, and then we lose it. And right now we need, we need revival. We need an awakening. We need God to pour out his spirit upon us again. And you know, I see this in in church leaders over the last 15, 20 years. I see this. I see this in Christians. This trend was on fire, then they lose it. Hearts become disillusioned, offended. And the result, they think they're fine, but they are so misrepresenting Christ. We lose the heart. I've seen this in church leaders. They're still like preaching the word and, you know, living for God. And I'm like, but you're so, so missing the heart of God. So missing. So misrepresenting God. Spirit of dead religion. You know? And so the key is it needs to happen. It needs to start here in our hearts where the Lord wants to come and restore and heal. And so but we see this in Matthew 23, 13 about this door that gets shut. And it says, therefore, if, if the first part of Matthew 23, it speaks about what sorrow awaits you. Now, there's sorrow when we embrace the spirit of dead religion. If we lose our way, if the hearts become disillusioned or cynical or indifferent even, it's just whatever. Lose the passion, lose the fire. And this is what sorrow, what pain you're going to miss out on life. And they said, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven and people's faces. You shut the door. That's what dead religion does. It shuts the door. God, you're not welcome here. But we think we're worshiping God. That's scary. That's scary. And that's why we need revival. Because it's like the people of God, we're blind and the hearts are indifferent. And then when revival comes, that awakening comes, it's like, we, we, we wake up and we realize the state of our lives, the state of the church. And we see, and then we can follow the Lord. And so they were misrepresented. Jesus, religious spirit caused to misrepresent God. I love the statement by Leonard Ravenhill. He said, revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows up himself. I like that. And we saw this in the life of Jesus. God came physically in the flesh to show them, guys, this is what God looks like. You're missing it. So God just comes himself. And I tell you, God wants to do, he wants to show up again and again and again through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And then you and I become a better representation of Christ. They look at us and they see a little bit more of Jesus. That's what it should be like. People should come to church and and encounter the people of God. And say, oh, that's what God looks like. Merciful, kind, 
gracious, loving, good. It's only through revival, only through an awakening. And so I have created sort of a new category for Christians. I call it revivers. So you hear revivalists? Yes, you see, they talk about these people, some people are revivalists. I'm like, no, no, we don't just want revivalists, we want revivers. That is, those are relational revivalists. Because some people are on fire for the Lord, but they are so unkind, unrelational, and ultimately destructive. And I'm like, Lord, raise up revivers. Revivers. Revivers are those who build bridges to people's hearts. If you study a bit of, of, uh, of revival history, you'll see that at times God breathes new life into the church. And you know what? That church that gets new life, they like, we're it. Those old dead churches go to hell. You're dead. That, that's not being a reviver. A reviver understands that the life you have received is not for yourself, but to give it away to others who might not have what you have. A reviver is somebody that is relational in the sense that they walk in with an attitude of honor towards the wider body of Christ. We don't judge other parts of the body of Christ. We're like, Lord, revive your bride. Awaken your church. And God use us to do that. A reviver builds bridges to people's hearts. And leads them into the fullness of the spirit. Revivers are passionate about family and the local church. And honoring church leaders and one another. Revivers. I'll unpack this more in the, in the, in the months to come. But I'm like, I want to call us to become revivers. Relational. Kind. Humble. And yet bold in the things of God. Revivers. So how do we become a reviver? Well, it, be, it starts with you. You need, you, you need to be revived. If you want to release, if you want to revive others, you need to come alive first. Revive, revive, be revived. Because if we don't get revived ourselves, then this passage will become valid or relevant for us. What Jesus said in Luke 13, 35, where he says, behold, your house is forsaken. Your house is forsaken. I tell you, you'll not see me. And so we want God in the house. And so I've been reading this fascinating revival that happened in Argentina, in Buenos Aires in 1954. And this reveals to me again the, 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 the impact because of, of a person partnering with God. Because sometimes when we think about revival, we're like, oh, we must just pray for the next 20 years and then God's going to show up maybe somewhere. No. Normally God works through a person or people. And so Tommy Hicks um, was a, a, an American and he was invited to come and preach, to go and preach in Buenos Aires in 1954. Let me give you some background. It was considered by mission boards to be the least fruitful mission field in the Western Hemisphere. After 40 years, the Assemblies of God Church, which was like the Pentecostal, the Holy Spirit-empowered church, could only account for 174 adult church members by 1951. 
like after 40 years. The Protestants, evangelicals, were forbidden to use radio and television. They were not allowed to conduct large evangelistic campaigns. And so they invited Tommy Hicks as evangelist. And so he came, but he had a word in his heart, and he felt the Lord say, we need to get a stadium that can seat at least 25,000 people. And he had a word like, I need to speak to the president. The Christians in Buenos Aires said, you're nuts. Not going to happen. They are anti-us. And so Tommy goes to uh, like the White House and uh, he meets with a minister of religion. And after speaking to him, he realized he's not going to get any further. And as he was speaking to the minister of religion, the secretary of the president walks in with a limp, with a lot of pain in his leg. And Tommy says, can I pray for you? And he said, only God can heal my leg. He said, can I pray for you? Okay, sure. He prayed for him. He was instantly healed. And he immediately took him to the president. And here's the picture of him and the president. And so he spoke to the president and he found out that the president has psoriasis or some form of eczema, skin disease. And said, can I, can, I, can I pray for you? He prayed for him. He was instantly healed. The president says, you can have the 45,000-seater stadium. And you can mark it on radio, news, newspapers. You can, you can mark it. You can go for it. He gave them a license for it. And they started to mark it. They went big. And then on the 13th of April, around Easter, 13th of April, 1954, they started meetings and around 6,000 people showed up in the stadium, which is the biggest evangelical, evangelistic meeting in the history of the nation. And then he preached Christ and he preached about Christ the healer. And then people started to get get healed. Miracles started to break out. They could hold up crutches and wheelchairs. and God started to move. And and, and they say when they started to. So they had meetings every day of the week for two months. And as as they would start. As the people would start to share the miracles they were experiencing. The crowds just started to grow. 6,000 became 8,000, 8,000 became 10,000, 10,000 became 12,000, then it grew to 20,000. Then the newspapers got wind of it and they started to speak about this. They would they'd write in the newspapers the miracles that were happening. Obviously, there was also a lot of opposition, but then it just kept on growing 20,000, 40,000, 80,000, a 45,000 seater with 80,000, 90,000 people. And there were more people outside the venue than in the venue. At some point. Then they went to a 110,000 seater soccer stadium. And it just kept on growing to the point that 200,000 people every night. More outside than inside. Hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. They said innumerable healing miracles. They couldn't keep count of everybody getting healed as God showed up. South America was impacted. So many people from all over South America came to these meetings. And it released a new generation of Believers of evangelists spreading the fire of God across South America, where we saw from the 1950s to now tens of millions of believers flooding into the kingdom of people flooding into the kingdom of God. One man partnering with God. You see, revival doesn't just happen. Someone has to partner with God. Someone has to be stupid enough to believe that God can do it again. Crazy enough. Your faith seems crazy on that journey. And the power of the healing miracles shifted that nation, shifted a whole continent. You see, where there's revival, there are miracles. And so a reviver is someone that partners 
with God. You need to partner with God. You need to say, Lord, here I am. I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to believe. And I believe God is wanting to bring new life to his church. And I believe he wants to use us to bring life, to build bridges to the hearts of people and church leaders all across the nation and to say, hey, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of God. It's available to the anyone, the anyone. And so I love that story, but someone has to step out. Someone has to partner with the Lord. So revivers partner with God. So Acts 2, verse 1 to 3, this picture of the original revival. Where it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord. What is one accord? What do you need to be in one accord? 120 people in an upper room praying for two weeks. What do you need to be in one accord? You need soft hearts. Humble, broken, surrendered hearts. Soft hearts is the key. If, we are, if there's pride, there will be division. If there's arrogance, there will be division. One accord, these men and women came together humble before the Lord. They, they, they gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has risen. And God moved. It says there, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It filled the house. It wasn't the house forsaken. Filled the house. Fill the house. Come on, God can do it again. God can do it again. I love us. Over the weekend, we had an amazing and desi encounter. And then one of the ladies shared with me that every time she, she, she told me, Andre, you make me cry. But good tears. Every time she walks in here, she weeps as the presence and the power of God touches her. And so many others also share that story. They feel the presence of God. I want to say there's more. Revival starts with one person, but when God shows up, then we're talking about an exponential increase of that same grace, not just the one being touched by God, but thousands, thousands, God willing millions. That's what God wants to do. And then it says, as this rushing mighty wind, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. One sat upon each of them. 120 in the room, each of them. You know what dead religion is? It's the preacher is on fire, the rest just sits and listens. New Testament Christianity is everyone on fire for the Lord. The 120, then it became the 3,000, everyone on fire for the Lord. Then the 3,000 became 5,000, everyone on fire. For the Lord, a fire on every head. That is what revival does. It awakens us from our slumber, from the lies we believe about ourselves. I know God can't use me. I know God isn't working powerfully anymore. He doesn't do miracles anymore. There's so many obstacles that we build in our, in our heads, in our hearts, about ourselves. And so revivers partner with God, but also revival begins with you. Come and say, revival begins with me. 
revival begins with me. What does it look like? It looks like a childlike faith. It looks like, not like, oh, I've been saved for 30 years. And I'm irritated with everybody so excited about Jesus. No, the fire, the passion, the childlikeness. It's like you came to Christ last week. You're still passionate about him because he's worthy. That's revival. One person. That's where it starts. It starts with one person. A bush fire, felt fire starts with one, one bush get, catching some fire. And then others hungry, thirsty, dry, ready for the more. It starts with the one. And so Luke 13, 34, it speaks about God's heart. It's like, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers a brood under her wings, but, but you were not willing. What is that not willing? It speaks of a hard heart. Stubborn, proud, indifferent, offended, disillusioned. A heart that's like, oh, whatever. Can I please go home? No. I'm busy. <laughs> Not yet. I want to move something in your heart and mind today by the Holy Spirit. Something to shift in you. Where you're like, but that's me. I am the one that needs fire. I am the one that needs a new heart. I am the one that needs to be awakened from my slumber. Revival starts with me. And that impacts so many others. Come and say, revival starts with me. Starts with you. So I'll be by there's some things that we need to shift in our hearts and in our minds because dead religion causes us to make excuses. No, God can't use me. No, God's not moving powerfully anymore. So I want to quickly do an interview with my friend Dave. Now, Dave dressed up for this occasion. He heard he's uh, going to be speaking. And he was like, I'm dressing up for this occasion because this is big. It was very big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dave is what? 67 years old. Yeah. And you look 23. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I look like Peter. <laughs> and so Dave has been a Christian for what? 25 years? Yeah. And you've been like in charismatic churches, what? 15 years, huh? Yes. And so, so you've been with us about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dave... He's been holding back for most of the 10 years. Over the last year, there's been a shift in his life. But before that, it was like uh, we were in, he had to facilitate a destiny encounter. And, uh, and, 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 and you were terrified. I was. First of all, to be a facilitator was terrifying enough. But um, I had a, it, it was a destiny one. And there was the session where you uh, have to prof There's three of you in your group. And then you have to prophesy over these three, each one of them. And I looked for every excuse. I said to Cheryl, I said, geez, I'm not going to, I don't want to be there on the Friday night. I think Saturday. that day or Saturday it happens. I don't want to be there. So I was trying to find every excuse possible not to be there. So you want to bunk? I wanted to run. You want to run? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I can't. Yeah? Like, the, you believe that you can't. Yeah? I can't. I, that, that's not for me. That's you for others. Like you're, you're not just not good enough. No, I'm definitely not good enough for that. The others are far better than me on, in, in that. You want me to share the end of that? So yeah, so anyway, so, so yeah, you, so you, you, you pushed through and you came. Eh? Yeah, okay. okay. What happened? Okay, so then I came, and the, the three guys I had in the group were all 
Christians from, for a long time. So it wasn't like you were now going to be able to practice on somebody new. <laughs> so, um, so, but anyhow, cut a long story short, the Holy Spirit gave me um, a prophecy for each one of them. Um, and I'm not one that sheds tears, but Cheryl, <laughs> Cheryl was shared it with um, Andre. That yeah, After that, that evening when I got home, I did shed tears, purely because I was used in an area that I doubted big time. It was big such time. a big moment for him mm. going home. Was yeah. just, he was just weeping, yeah. realizing that God can use you. Yes. It's massive. Very much. Massive. Mm. <laughs> And so, so what was the lie you believed? The lie was that I just wasn't good enough. Um, I was sharing in the first service when, when people are called to the front for you to pray for them. I would leave that to Yonela, Peter, Sally, my wife Cheryl. They, they're the ones for that, not me. I'm at the back there serving, setting out the chairs. That's my job. Not, I, I just wasn't, I never ever believed I was good enough to come and participate. Facilitating was another area, not for me. And so Dave came with us last weekend to show for PE. He's part of the ministry team, and you were just throwing fire. <laughs> you were praying for people and prophesying, and yeah. it was like you're an instrument in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was just incredible to see. But, you know, we, we, we have these lies in our heads that build a barrier for the presence and the power of God. Mm. And so what shifted? You were in life group. What, what, what happened there? It, at life group, uh, Steve Bruce. Um, he's an accountant, so he, he, he said it as it was, it was meant for me. And he said to me, Dave, you have to stop hiding behind Cheryl. Um, and because I, it's very easy for me to slipstream, uh, something like that. So that word was, that word spoke to me. And, um, the big change came thereafter. And then what, st- what happened next to shift I you st- further? I stepped out, I, I then realized now. I must get from, I must get from behind. I must stop this nonsense of being behind. Cheryl. And, um, off I went and I started facilitating. I made sure when people came up here, I was here to, to pray for. Um, big change, huge change, exciting change. Yeah. And as you stepped out, it's like yeah. that lie in your head shifted when yes. you realized no, God yeah. can use me. Yes. And if I just think back to the PE weekend, if I can just go yeah. there again, um, I used to always just ask, who's in my group? Because I wanted to see, no, geez, where do I feature here? Um, and when I got a PE, I didn't do that. Um, we, we were given our list, and I thought, okay, well, that's my list. But when I got to see the guys, man, those are guys that have been Christians for a long time. There's missionaries, there's everybody in my group. And I, um, but, we, man, what an experience to be able to share a weekend with guys that have experienced everything that I'm now excited about. Um, but there too, the Lord gave me words for all those guys. Oh, Super exciting. Beautiful. I am so proud of you. Well done. Let's give him a hand. And I, I wanted him to share, because I want to challenge that mindset that so many of us have. I'm not good enough. It's a barrier to the Holy Spirit. It's a barrier to what God wants to do in you. Fire on every head, then those barriers need to be moved. You need to discover that God can work in you and through you. 
mightily. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, a house for God. He wants to work through you. It's going to revolutionize your life when you discover God can work through me. Come on, say it. God can work through me. Amen. And it's so prophetic what Dave just said. Guys, stop your nonsense. Don't hide behind your wife. Now the married guys, stop hiding behind your wife thinking she's spiritual and I am not. It's a barrier. If we want to see revival come, revival begins here with me, with you, in your heart. Amen? Come on, say it. I'm going to stop my nonsense. <laughs> Dave said that. I'm not saying that. Dave, Dave is saying that. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 25. And this is an Old Testament passage that speaks of what revival is going to look like. And it says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. So the first step is God washes you clean because you feel, hey, but I've done all these things wrong and all these sins and whatever. It's okay. Jesus paid for your cleansing through his blood. He wants to cleanse you, forgive you, remove the shame, remove the guilt and the condemnation. He wants to make you new. And then... He follows up with, I will give you a new heart. Verse 26. I will give you a new heart. Next, next slide. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. A new heart. Instead of the hard heart, a soft one. Childlike one. A new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit. Verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So there's three, three steps. The first one is he cleanses you. Then he gives you a new a soft heart, a hungry, humble God. I want to know you. I want to know you better. I want to grow in you, Lord. I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to get onto the field. I want to live for you, Jesus, like the way it's supposed to be. And then... He fills you with his Holy Spirit. You see, dead religion is on the outside. It forces you into a mold on the outside. It's controlling. It steals your joy. And it doesn't bring lasting change. It's just rules and regulations on the outside. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he writes it on your heart. It happens from the inside. I don't want to live that sinful lifestyle anymore. I don't want to do that nonsense anymore. No, I don't want to to be that anymore. I want to be with Jesus. I want to follow Christ. I want to be a reviver. I want to come alive myself, and then I want to bring life to others. Amen? Come on, be a reviver, a relational revivalist. In the name of Jesus. I tell you, when it just shifts in your head, when you realize who you are in Christ, then things can start rolling. So become a reviver. Revival begins with you. And number four... Revivers have soft hearts. But we need to kick down a few doors. The doors, there's, there's these blockages. On, on Monday morning, I was praying, and, and I felt the, the Lord gave me a download. He gave me a revelation of why revival is being held back in many churches. And the Lord showed me this vision of these barriers, multiple barriers in the church. And I felt the Lord say to me, Control. Ungodly control is putting barriers. And the root of control is fear. Fear leading to control. This is external control thing. 
You see, there should be boundaries, yes, healthy boundaries, divine order, yes, but not control. It can look the same, but it's the spirit behind it. The one is motivation of fear. The real deal is a motivation of faith. I have faith, so I'm releasing the will of God. And then the anointing is on that. But when there's control, ungodly control, and when there's fear manifesting in the hearts of the saints of God or church leaders, the result is dead religion. There's no joy. It just feels, oh, service is like an hour, but it feels like five. God help us all. No, there must be life. No control, but it starts in the heart. So it's control and comfort. We don't like discomfort. So we build our lives to be comfortable. So we control people, our spouse, kids, our environment. Because I want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And so I'm controlling and I have these fears in my heart. And so I'm not pursuing the Lord as I should. And so we need to lay down the fear and we need to lay down the control, ungodly control. And we lay down ungodly pursuit of comfort. God moves outside of your comfort zone. So pursue perpetual discomfort. That means stepping out. I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm going to trust God for a word for somebody. I'm going to step out because I am a reviver. Come on, a reviver. Faith leads to surrender. Fear leads to control. If you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and we often say, Lord, we want more of you. It's actually God, let me help me to surrender more of myself to you. Because then he brings more of himself. So come on, say surrender. Surrender is the key. Let go of control. Let go of control. And the Lord will give you life. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, at the slightest whisper of the Holy Spirit, I turn aside to obey. At the slightest whisper of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? Soft heart, hungry heart, in tune with God. Slightest whisper. Now, this man was a mighty, mighty instrument in the hands of God. Incredible miracles, raising the dead. Mighty man of God, but he had a soft heart in tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying, and he would move as the Spirit leads. A reviver has a soft heart. And number five, revivers are led by the Spirit, as Smith Wigglesworth. Led by the Spirit. Final verse I want to read, Acts 2, verse 43. This is on the day of Pentecost or in that season. And it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs, and wonders. It's like a, a deep reverence for God. It's like people became aware of the presence of God, and they had reverence for Him. The result, signs and wonders and miracles as the people of God partnered with God. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.